this week on Your Asian Best Friends, we have another installment of Asians in the News, and we touch on the Joe Rogan controversy. Plus, Taylor and I delve into mental health and how we cope with depression and anxiety. I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. And we are your Asian best friends. To start, what happened? <laughs> Where have we been? Not that like anyone cares. <laughs> no one will probably even notice we've been gone for a while, but we've been gone from the show for like a month. Yeah, we yeah. were gone for a month. Well, first, we actually did record a episode in 2022. Yes. But it's the first lost episode of your Asian best. It's a lost episode. <laughs> yeah. And then when we were going to re-record it, I got COVID that week. And then the next week you had a tummy ache. I, then- that's <laughs> right. That's right. I had a stomach ache. <laughs> and then I went to Glofari at the Oakland Zoo. Can't miss Glofari oh, at the Oakland Zoo. You got the Glofari yeah. slot. Got the Glofari slot. And also, I just had a really shitty time at work last week, so I was just like, this is not going to be a good podcast. Tell people about Glofari. Dude, have you been? I've been to Glofari. It's the best. Not with my kids, though. I want to take my kids. I've never... I didn't even know it was a thing. It's very good. It's awesome. (laughs) Oakland Zoo. Oakland Zoo. And, like, they just have all these light sculptures, basically, of different animals that aren't really at the Oakland Zoo. Lots of insects this time. I hear that there's a different theme each time. This is very insect heavy. And nice. uh, it was awesome, man. I'm jealous. I couldn't get in this year. I didn't even know it was a theme. And then <laughs> got in this year, and I want to do it every year now. That's great. Yeah, we'll coordinate next year. That'll be fun. Dude, it was dope. The gondola thing that you have to take to the top? Yeah. Dude, fuck that It's kind of scary. <laughs> I, yeah. So I have a video. I, have, I haven't I have done Glofari with my kids. Yeah. But I took my son to the zoo. I right. have taken him to the Oakland Zoo. And we. I have a video of him on that shit, that mm-hmm. uh, gondola. Yeah. Which is like terrifying. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so terrifying. <laughs> it goes up really high. <laughs> and you're just dangling the whole time. He didn't give a fuck. Dude, he just thought it was kids. so cool. Same with my kids. And the funny thing is, is that like all the adults were freaking out of just like, why do we have to take this thing all the way to the top, top up there? <laughs> and then it like stops when people are too slow yeah. to get on yeah, yeah. and they need help. So you're just like dangling. You're and swinging. You're swinging. And like my son was like. It'd be really bad if it, and I said, shut up. (laughs) He's like, no, I'm just saying if this thing fell. I was like, shut, shut up. (laughs) There's like another family across from me. Shut the fuck up. I hate you. (laughs) But yeah, man, the kids were unaffected. And we do our best to try to also be unaffected just because we don't want to give our kids a complex. Like a but chain reaction. What is yeah. with it, man? Like, all adults are like, this isn't fun. And all kids are like, this is great. At some point, we all break and realize how fragile life is. Yeah, yeah our mortality <laughs> suddenly comes into full view. But yeah. But it was cool, man. It's worth going up the gondola because that's where all the good shit is. Yeah, there's and there's like a little like uh, cafeteria up there. Yeah, 
Why do they put everything up there? They just make you go on the gondola. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. It's like, you want food? You better yeah. get it. You can't get up there <laughs> otherwise. No, you can't get up there otherwise. Wow. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah. What if someone's afraid of heights? I mean, I'm definitely afraid of heights. <laughs> You're like, I can tell you. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. You have to leave. If you have a stroller, you have to park the stroller at the bottom. Yeah. And then hopefully no one stole it. <laughs> <Come back. laughs> yeah. Who steals a stroller, though, honestly? Who steals uh, a stroller in a park? Like, <laughs> in an amusement know, park. Man. You could get away with it, though. Oh, very easily. No one would question you. No. Even if it's empty. Yeah. People might question me. I feel like I always look suspicious when I'm like without a kid. Kind of street. (laughs) Whenever I don't have a kid, I feel really like I'm giving off weird vibes. Like whenever I pick up my kids from school and there's not a parent I instantly recognize to like give me some sort of credibility that I belong at the school too. I always get like someone's gonna call the cops on me. And I have no idea why I feel that way, but I always feel like people are suspicious of me. I'm not. <laughs> That's worth anything to you. I can kind of vouch for you, though. Yeah. You're not a criminal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, like yeah. we said. Um, I had a good time. It's been a, it's been a good month. You know what I did? What did you do? I, went on a, I embarked on a journey. Uh-huh. I said, dad bought air is over. Oh. Started working out more. Got on the Peloton. Nice. And going on hikes. I, I had been already going on hikes, but it, you know. Yeah. Um, I feel good, man. Glad to be back. Uh, lots happened. Yeah. Tell me about it. Since we <laughs> um, recorded the last released episode. Yes. That lost episode, man. <laughs> A lot happened during that lost episode. The lost episode, there's some good stuff in there. there. Stuff happened. I don't know if we share it here, but Taylor, for you guys know, if you've listened to the show, Taylor's been trying to get me to read this book, Crying in H Mart. Yeah. And you read it. And I surprised you. I said, I read it. Yeah. And then we talked about it. It was great, but we'll talk about it again for sure. Yeah, someday. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk about Crying in H Mart. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful book. Yeah. By a wonderful That's a teaser. person. That's a teaser. That's a teaser. Who knows when? <laughs> I know All our, these people on the edge of their our seats. Eight, our eight listeners are like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently that episode just did, wasn't up to snuff up. Uh, I haven't heard it, but you were editing it. Taylor edits the show. <laughs> I was editing it. And then at a certain point, I was just like, I give up. I can't make this, <laughs> I can't make this good. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's, let's get into what we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, on today's episode, you know, it's February, mm-hmm. early part of the year. It's still a little cold. Uh, I, I think that around this time of year's, is around the time some people get a little depressed, mm-hmm. a little down. There's not yeah. a lot going on. All the holidays are over. You're back to work and it's hard and, you know, maybe a little glum. So later in the show, we're going to touch on mental health and how, maybe how you and I cope with that if we, if we experience that ourselves. Yeah. 
Um, so that'll be later in the show. But now we took a long break and a lot of shit happened regarding Asians in the news. Asians, in Asians the in the news. That should be the, even the segment. Should I cover? There's one news topic that we covered in the last episode that I think is worth mentioning here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the White House has created an initiative on Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. Uh, it's it's um, an advisory board mm-hmm. comprised of a couple dozen uh, prominent Asian figures in all fields, mm-hmm. uh, a wide range of not all fields. <laughs> there's, the, <laughs> there's no like plumber in the <laughs> on the advisory board to right. President Biden, but this advisory board will be um, um, consulting with, or President Biden will consult the advisory board as to the issues that um, are afflicting and concern Asian communities. Mm-hmm. Um, every every one of ours, our communities. And I think it's a good idea. We talked about this uh, in the last episode. Good idea on paper. Yeah, it's a good idea on paper. It's hard to... Um, I don't know. With these sorts of initiatives, it's so hard to measure like the impact of them. It's almost impossible. It's almost know? impossible, which also makes it really easy Um to launch one of these initiatives because you're not really held accountable for anything. They're like influencers. Yeah. And it's just like saying like, look, we did this thing as a headline. I have no idea what they're actually doing. I don't know. Has there been an update since we, uh, since we yeah, first covered Yeah, kind this? of. So like the, the <laughs> they've disbanded. The- <laughs> <laughs> it's gone now. <laughs> but the, the commission, um, I'm quoting here from NBC News. The commission was established to advise President Joe Biden on the needs of the country's growing AAPI population. And its leaders promised to address the concerns of our communities. And um, one of the things, one of the uh, priorities of the initiative that I know that you and I thought was really cool was their mission to disaggregate data collected under the Asian umbrella, which I think they could, it would be pretty easy for them to make change on since they have a direct line to the president. Yeah. Right. Just on those, all these government forms that we fill out instead of it just being a box that says Asian, which is like absurd. Right. There should be several. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you think about how those forms are used and what, yeah, what they're used for, you know, and there's so much different, um, you're just a wide income disparity across different Asian groups. And it's hard to um, give aid to the people that need it when they're just under this large umbrella of Asian. But also like, I mean, I remember taking standardized tests when I was a kid and having to pick a race and being mixed was made it even more difficult, but also like, Putting Asian didn't feel like it fully represented <laughs> who I was because it's fucking gigantic um, classification to to put somebody under. Right. Um, so I I do think that that's actually uh, impactful, um, or could be impactful, not just for how we distribute aid, but also just little kids filling out forms and wanting to feel like they're you know 
actually seen at an early age. It's like not that different than just representation, which we talk about a lot. Yeah. And and it's, it's pointed, right? Because of if they're able to implement more specificity in these um, boxes, these tick boxes, mm-hmm. um, they will better be able to address the issues of individual Asian communities, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Korean community faces different uh, challenges to the Filipino community mm-hmm. and to the Japanese American community. Yeah. So it's good that, that they'll be implementing this um, wider range of, of uh, identification boxes. I think they can actually get this one done too. Like I don't see why um, they run into problems here. Oh, there's always ways. Um, no, people will be mad <laughs> for some reason. On top of this, since since we last talked about yeah. this in the last episode, um, we so one of the members on the advisory board is actor Daniel Day Kim. They've included him as an actor and someone in media because you know clearly that's where representation has the widest influence. I would say is is in movies and TV and and yeah. all kinds of content uh, on the internet and and in theaters or TVs, what have you. And um, he is spoken about this being included on the board. Mm -hmm. And here's a quote from Daniel Day Kim. He says, if you look at my career, you've seen plenty of roles where I support lead characters, but very rarely have you seen me actually be the man who initiates the action. What he's really saying here is that the story's never actually about him, even though he might be on the screen a lot. Yeah. He's not the actual protagonist. This is a cheap trick that I see in Hollywood constantly. Where they put a bunch of people who aren't white on screen to um, tick that diversity box, but actually the story's still about a white person at the end, <laughs> at the end of the day. But they just try to distract you by throwing like um, they'll th- a lot of times they'll like throw a, a black person in as like a police chief or something mm-hmm. to show oh they're an authority figure and they're black. See, we're not racist. It's like yeah, the story's not about them at all. Yeah, they're just a character in this white person's story, so it doesn't count. I think it's happening more than ever, too, now, because people are so conscious of this representation and trying to check off a box so people don't, um, you know, call them out on it. I mean, I actually had the same exact feeling over the weekend when I watched Spider-Man. I was like, they're just surrounding this white kid with a bunch of minority people. Isn't that a trick? (laughs) That Filipino kid? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, there's a Filipino in that movie? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I like I like that character too, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's you know No, but if for some reason with Spider Man it feels just feels so blatant, especially when you have three Spider Mans on the screen and they're all just the whitest white men <laughs> that you could possibly find. <laughs> I was like, God damn. Um another bit of news that I think you're gonna like a lot. Yeah. Billboard has just announced that Olivia Rodrigo is their 2022 Woman of the Year. Dang. First ever Asian American to get that honor. Yeah, I didn't know Billboard was still <laughs> I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of this uh, award or this... But uh, it's not like I was ever in the running for that award, so it <laughs> sounds like it's legitimate, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never heard of this distinction before, but uh, previous recipients include Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Madonna... Yeah. So it's a big deal. Olivia Rodrigo, uh, one of the best albums of, of last year for sure. Yeah, for sure. Filipino, American. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's uh, very proud. Um, this is Olivia Rodrigo's quote um, 
in an interview with People magazine or just People. Uh, it actually makes me want to cry. It's so touching. Representation in TV and media is so important, and I'm so glad that I can hopefully be an example for little Asian girl, a little Asian girl out there, so that they can do anything they set their mind to. It's great. I mean, I think it's awesome that someone that young is, um, I think, recognizes her influence and the power of of what she could represent. And yeah, that's really heartening that she's so open about being Filipino. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we grew up in an era where people tried to hide the fact that they were Asian. So props to Olivia Rodrigo. I'm sure we'll be talking about her for years to come on the show. Um, two more bits of news. First bit is, I mean, they're both kind of big pieces of news, but the last one's a doozy. I'll save the, <laughs> the last one's a doozy. I'm going to save that for last. I can't wait. Uh, but before that, this bit of news is regarding our girl, Aquafina. Oh, I am completely oblivious to this news. Yeah, so she, uh, there's been controversy surrounding her for the past like year, I'd say, um, regarding her music. Uh, have you heard her music? <laughs> this is all news to me. <laughs> so she's a rapper. <laughs> she was actually a rapper first before okay. she became an actress. And if you've seen her in movies, you know that she how she speaks normally. Right. Yeah. When she raps... She speaks with, I mean, a black accent. Like, like she yeah. sounds like black, mm-hmm. um, or at least at the very least, um, a hip hop accent, right? Yeah. So she's gotten a lot of flack over the past year for that, for kind of mm-hmm. appropriating that um, that accent <laughs> and using it to make money, right? Because she doesn't. We don't know. She doesn't really speak like that but in shit, real man. life. Doesn't everybody? I mean, there's so many people that are guilty of this. Okay, 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 okay. So I think this is the conversation, right? So here's a quote from her. Um, she finally responded to these this criticism, and she says, "My immigrant background allowed me to carve an American identity off the movies and TV shows I watched, the children I went to public school with, and my undying love and respect for hip hop." Mm-hmm. I think as a group, Asian Americans are still trying to figure out what that journey means for them, what is correct and where they don't belong. So that's really interesting. Um, that resonates with me. Yeah. For sure. Um, she is referencing that confusion that I believe a lot of Asian Americans face mm-hmm. and, and struggle with. Uh, and I, okay, so she's from Queens. Mm-hmm. She's New York born and raised. She never left. So she's grew up in like Long Island, Queens, yeah, like Flushing, right? Mm-hmm. Her, her, I, I believe her grandfather had a Chinese restaurant in Flushing for like since the fifties or something. Yeah. So to me, my quickly my take is that I mean, as a non-black person, I humbly say I don't think she's done anything wrong here. Yeah, she she's making art. She grew up in a place where people talk like that, whether you're black or not. Um. <sighs> Yeah. I for me, I definitely use that vernacular in my speech because I love hip hop. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up on hip hop. I, I hang out in San Francisco with a, you know, a bunch of Asian people and we all definitely talk like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the barbershops and stuff. I have a lot of black friends too. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, as long as you don't do it ironically, 
Yeah. And put it on as a costume or a character. If you're genuinely speaking like that, yeah. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. Even if you're making art, right? Like if, if she um, accentuates that vernacular, it's probably because it's conducive to that genre of music. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent aligned with you on that. I think that's a good distinction about as long as you're not doing it ironically. Yeah. Cause when you do it ironically, it immediately becomes offensive and, that's not what I think she's going for. And I don't even think she's making a conscious choice. Um, I think it's partially, it's hard to um, take yourself out of the environment that you're in and not absorb the language and the sort of just the intricacies of that culture. And yeah, I don't, I don't know, man feels like a non-controversy controversy to me. I was shocked at how big this thing grew. Like, she <clears throat> got, got a lot of shit so much so that she's off Twitter now. No she, shit, really? Yeah, she just got off because people are telling her to go kill herself. Here's the doozy I was talking about. I'm ready. Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe. Our old buddy Joe. <laughs> Not my buddy. Not my buddy. Your big buddy Joe, buddy. <laughs> I'm actually, we actually haven't really spoken about this at all, so I'm, I'm really uh, curious as to how you feel about what's been going on with Joe Rogan. Uh, let's let's lay the foundation here. Talk about what's happened yeah. with Joe Rogan. Uh, essentially, he's had one guest in particular on his show, a scientist. Uh, who spewed misinformation about COVID right. on the show. And he caught flack for that. Joe Rogan did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe Rogan had also been catching flack because he, he does he's anti-vax. Right. Uh, at, at the very least for himself. He, he's not vaxxed himself personally. Right. Um, so he caught flack for that. And, Artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulled their music from Spotify. Yeah. Joe Rogan's podcast is exclusive to Spotify. Yeah. So Neil Young's out, uh, Joni Mitchell's out, and a bunch of other artists have, have left in their wake. And now to pile, as if things couldn't get any worse, a compilation came out <laughs> of Joe Rogan <laughs> yeah. from years ago using the N-word multiple times yeah. in, in different conversations. Uh, this compilation came out is just awful. And mm-hmm. I, I believe over 70 episodes of the show were taken down from Spotify as a mm-hmm. result or in preparation for this um, uh, controversy that they knew was going to erupt. Yeah. So Joe Rogan has released uh, at least two apologies mm-hmm. subsequently. Um, to me, they seem like genuine apologies. I've I've, I've watched those. Yeah. And the media seems to be split as to whether Joe Rogan deserves any type of forgiveness or consideration for what's happened. Uh, how do you feel about what's happened with Joe Rogan's show and what's happening to Joe Rogan? I mean, he brought it on himself. <laughs> he brought it on himself. <laughs> you know, like, I don't feel too bad for him in that way. I will say, like, I've listened to Joe Rogan in the past. I've listened to his podcast in the past. Um, He's had a lot of comedians on there that I really enjoy. Um, And in the past, before I would say, like, 2020, 
Um, I thought he was a genuinely curious person that would invite pretty much anybody on to his show. Right. To have conversations with. And he didn't have, from what I could tell, a real political leaning, even though he had some like horrible people on his yeah. show. Um, to me, it always seemed like it stemmed from like a genuine curiosity. Of course, now he's got this huge platform. So then there's a discussion of like, why are you giving these people this big platform? He's got a greater responsibility now. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I saw his apology videos too. Um, or at least his last one about the N word. Mm -hmm. I doubt most people actually watched the entire thing his apology video, but I watched the whole thing and I took away the same thing that you did is that it seemed genuine to me. It's I mean, hard he's to say clearly embarrassed. You know, It's hard to say it's not genuine. Like he might just be a great actor and be putting this on, but I'm going to take it at face value. It seemed like a genuine apology. It's not surprising that he used that word without thinking about the ramifications yeah. of that word. That's yeah. not surprising at all. Yeah. It's 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 funny because I think the story here for me is just the it's not really Joe Rogan like he I I have listened to his show before too like especially like clips like if there's someone I'm interested yeah. in like like a Dave Chappelle or something mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I've been a Dave Chappelle fan since I'm a kid Dude, so Dave Chappelle you know. I mean let, let's see despite yeah, his latest controversy Dave Chappelle's one of the greatest minds that America's ever produced. Yeah, he is. Um, and whenever there's, and Joe Rogan does have people on that I'm interested in listening to. So sometimes I'll, I'll listen to clips and stuff, but I'm not, I'm just for background. I'm not like a huge Joe Rogan fan or anything. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I don't really care like what happens to him or whatever. Um, I love the UFC. I love mixed martial arts and he's mm -hmm. there a lot. So I've heard <laughs> him call a lot of fights. Yeah. Um, but I don't really, I've never seen a stand up. you know, like I'm not a big fan of the guy yeah. just for background. But, um, I think what's interesting here is not really Joe Rogan. I don't care so much about him. It's the reactions of the media and people on social media, mm -hmm. on social media to Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, I've heard some really insane reactions to this controversy that kind of blew me away. Like what? So there's, I don't want to call him. So I'm a film critic. There's another film critic. <laughs> who is Richard Roper. <laughs> <laughs> Roper. <dude. laughs> He's an Asian American film critic. One of the very few uh -huh. uh, uh, along with me in our number of Asian <laughs> film critics. So you're saying that we could easily find out who Probably. you're talking about. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And uh, this is what he said. He yeah. said, so Jon Stewart defended Joe Rogan. Yeah. He knows him. Per they've been friends for decades, right? He was like, right. trust. I think I didn't listen to this, but I, essentially Jon Stewart said, look, listen, he's not racist, guys. I know this guy. Joe Rogan's not racist. And a lot of a lot of black people have come out and said that, too. You know, I know Joe. He's not racist. Trust me. Yeah. Or whatever. But Jon Stewart said this. And then this critic who has been a fan of Jon Stewart since the 90s mm -hmm. so since the start of his career this critic said i've lost all respect for john stewart 
yeah. for s- sticking up for Joe Rogan. And I said, what? You've yeah. lost all respect yeah. for Jon Stewart for sticking up for Joe Rogan. For not, he's not even Joe Rogan. He's someone who's talking about Joe Rogan, who actually knows Joe Rogan, right? Yeah. He's lost all respect for John St- That's insane to me. What yeah. What is that? I don't get... I think it's easy. I it's mean, just kind of shallow, right? Yeah, and I think it's easy to to say I'm done. Mm. Like, it's way harder to be in the middle. It, yeah. It's way harder to say, like, I don't agree with you on this, but I can agree with you on other things. And it's okay for this person to say, like, I don't agree with your take on this. Like, that's fine. But yeah. I don't know, man. Like, this whole push to just throw out the entire individual is what's insane to me. Because it, it's, yeah, because it's clearly, I mean, to me, it's clearly wrong and not, not a healthy approach to any issue. Um, but it's it's also shows a lack of nuance and a lack of like uh, capa- capacity for forgiveness. Like, um, do you know Patton Oswalt? Yeah, of course. Took a he posted a picture of him and Dave Chappelle hanging out, mm-hmm. and he got roasted mm. because of the controversy surrounding Dave at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Patton Oswalt took down the photo. He was a humiliated, and then, but then he went. I think he came back on social media and said. Listen, guys, I completely disagree with what Dave Chappelle said about trans people, mm-hmm. but he, I've been friends with him for a long time. Yeah. We know each other. I disagree with him on this, but he's still my friend. I'm, sh- I'm scared that people for, have for, seem to have forgotten you can do that. Disagree with someone. Yeah. And still respect them as a human being. Or even for, or even, God forbid, forgive someone. <laughs> you know, it's like that's not on the table anymore. Yeah, I mean, it it does it worries me too, and it's I think it's part of what I really try to instill in my kids mm. is just empathy and um, trying to put yourself in somebody's shoes even if you don't want to just to understand where they might be coming from and why they might have these views and it might be because they're scared it might be because they're um, desperate there's a lot of different things that drive people to dark places and unless you try to take the time to understand those things um, I just feel like it's you're going to live in this black and white world when the world isn't black and white and it causes a ton of conflict and we've become this weird society where now social media is now just our life. Like it used to be like Twitter's like this weird world where um, people don't actually act like that in the real world. We're not actually like that when everyone's a tough guy on twitter right but now it's kind of the real world mm. like now people are actually not hanging out with people just because <laughs> they disagree with people or not yeah. and that's just bullshit to me it's, like, it's really bad i think it's evil it's really yeah, evil i i just don't get it man 
to dismiss someone over one subject, one disagreement. I know, I understand that there are deal breakers out there, right? Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. there are people that I don't associate with over things like this, right? But I still respect that they're a human being and that they, they, they you know, that yeah. they can make mistakes or maybe they can um, uh, learn from them, right? Uh, it's this facade that everyone, uh, this is what really angers me is so many people, and I think this is on both sides of the aisle, to be honest, maybe even more so on our side. Yes, it's um, <laughs> People put up this facade that they've been woke forever yeah. and they've never made a faux pas in yeah. like of this in of this type at any time in their life they've always known they've always known all these pronouns and they've always been comfortable w- yeah. with th- these conversations or they've always been they've always been um uh, uh, empathetic or, or understanding of what the black experience is or whatever right no one's willing to admit that they we all have areas of ignorance. Yeah. We're, everyone's ignorant about lots of shit. No one wants to talk about that. Everyone likes to pretend like they've always known. And to they think they're emphasizing the fact that they, they're the supremely woke being by shitting on someone else when they make a mistake. Yeah, but don't you think it's like a cycle too? Because the reason why people are afraid to admit that they're not they haven't always been woke is that they've seen what happens to people that haven't always been. Yeah. They're cowards. I mean, it's cowardice to me. Well, it's sort of cowardice, but it's also just like self-preservation. Like we're seeing what happens when you're not woke all the time. Yeah. We're seeing that you will get canceled and you'll be written off of society. So there's no incentive for somebody to say, I made a mistake. Yeah. There's never an incentive at this point. Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think you touched on something earlier about like there are deal breakers with people where you're not going to associate with them. And I think that's totally fine and totally reasonable. It's a personal decision. It's a personal decision that is completely different than saying that that person is beyond redemption. Or they should lose their job. Or any of that stuff. Yeah. But like, I cannot live a life where I think anyone's beyond redemption. Like, you always have to have faith in anybody that they can turn it around. And this is one of the most beautiful things um, that I've ever seen as far as um, people growing, myself included. You know, the, that moment where they you recognize that you were wrong or you were ignorant. And then you just, instead of doubling down on your ignorance and saying like, yeah. oh, fuck it, I, I've always hated Asians or, you know, whatever. Instead of that, you go the other direction. You say, you view it as an opportunity to grow as a person. Say, I was wrong. Now I know better. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, now I'm, whatever, I'm humbly, I'm going to move forward with this newly acquired knowledge, right? Like, that's the way we should all approach these things. But I think instead people are just angry <laughs> and they, they just, you know they just they just want to put everyone else on trial to avoid um like you know to your point uh themselves being put on trial and people are really scared um and they're regurgitating 
all these yeah. um these messages on on social media acting as if they came up with them you know <laughs> i mean what do people think happens when you take somebody's livelihood and you take away their options like what what happens they become extremists yeah right. they become exa- they become more dangerous it doesn't than they help were anything. than what they be began as right right like there's a ton of incentives right now for joe rogan just to say fuck it I'm going to take all this heat and turn it into a different platform where I can continue down this path that you all don't want me to go on. And I have a ton of influence and everybody's going to listen to me and I'm going to be louder than ever. That is what he's incentivized to do right now. He is not incentivized to apologize, maybe to keep his job at Spotify, but I think he would be fine no matter what, at the the heights that he's reached at this point, I think he's beyond his platform. I think if he wanted to, he could turn this a completely different way. Yeah, I, I will say, I, I like we talked about. We both heard his show, and I will say the one thing that is appealing about his show to me that is, I think, pertinent to this conversation, but nobody's talking about, is that a he has guests on on both sides of most issues. Yeah. Like, um, yes, I, I don't even know the name of the controversial scientist he had on mm-hmm. um, that caused the, you know, was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was talking about COVID. But he's had Sanjay Gupta on too from CNN. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's had, he always has people from both sides on. And he disagrees with a lot of people on the show. Like, he will. Yeah. Um, to their face. Just tell them their opinions. He thinks their opinion is bullshit and convince mm-hmm. me why it's not. And the show's three hours long plus. And I think that's that's really relevant to this conversation because I think a lot of the people who are really the angriest at Joe Rogan right now actually don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like they don't know that show at all. They don't they don't understand no, what yeah. the show is. Like, do you understand how hard it would be for anybody to record themselves for what, eight hours a week? Mm-hmm. And not say anything shitty for I years. Mean, we, I have cut hours off of this our <laughs> podcast. Don't, don't. I don't want it out there. Okay. <laughs> because of that, like, like when I said twinks, I said we were, <laughs> we were twinks in middle school. Like, there's tons of like you just slip up, you know, and. And we're not perfect. No one's perfect. Like we're <laughs> no we're all. Perfect. It's all a process, right? And luckily, we have like eight listeners. We're that is a that is a perk <laughs> of this we're, us, our show being in its infancy. If someone disagrees with us, they can walk up to us because they probably know us and say, <laughs> 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 uh, "But yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. Like, I to be clear, like he brought all of this shit." On himself. I don't feel like he's beyond blame. Like, he's not innocent here. But, like, Jesus Christ. Like, it feels like people were just waiting for this moment, too. Yeah. But, like, I'll be honest, like, the past year or two, like, it also seems like he's gone down some paths that I'm surprised he's gone down. Mm. Like, with all the COVID shit, like, I'm actually surprised he went 
to that side. And I'm surprised he's been so vocal about it. And that's honestly around the time where I was like, eh, I don't know if I can listen to this anymore. Yeah, I don't. I had already like not been listening to him at all. Like, I don't, you know, I already didn't listen often. But then when I heard that stuff um, wasn't exactly a turn on for me to go back and listen. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah, it seems kind of um, obviously ridiculous to me. You know, T- Taylor and I were both vaccinated and um, boosted, boosted, got COVID. I'm fucking ultra boost, ultra, boost. <laughs> ultra boost. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that's the news. Yeah. That's the, we just dubbed it Asians in the news and finished with Joe Rogan. <laughs> so <laughs> so I got a story for you. Okay. I got a story for you. So there was a time in my life um, a long time ago where I was really depressed. Mm-hmm. Like super, uh, you can't exaggerate how depressed I was. Yeah. And um, I went to the doctor regularly. Um, mm-hmm. I went to the ER regularly because I thought it was dying all the time. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so I was at the doctor's office and the doctor said, what's wrong? And I said, I feel like there's a hole in my back and I think I'm going to die at any minute. Mm-hmm. And my skin feels tingly and all, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was getting so mad because he was like, uh, I don't see anything wrong with you. And I was like, I feel like death right now. I mm-hmm. feel really terrified and awful physically. Like yeah. It wasn't just mentally. I felt my body just caving in. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he said, um, have you been looking out the window lately? Like when you're at home? Because I, I, I was so depressed. Well, there was other stuff that happened, but I had to quit my job. Yeah. Um, and he was like, have you been looking out the window? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I look out the window a lot. And he's like, is it gray outside? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And he said, Bernard, this is very common. But it's a, it's actually a, a condition where the weather actually affects your yeah. physical state and your mental state. I forget what it was called. It was like a funny name. It's called sad. It is called sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got it. Se- seasonal seasonal uh, something something disorder. <laughs> yeah, something disorder. Yeah, um, sad. Yeah, and then that's when I learned about sad, and I thought that was so fascinating at the time <laughs> because he, I knew right when he said it, I was like, "That's totally what's happening to me." Yeah, and it was around this time of year. It was in yeah. February, and uh, I think it's I. I I think it's a really common thing, you know, where the weather oh, yeah. and the time of year can affect your mood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the holiday, hol- around holiday season, it affects people in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. The weather, some people thrive in sunny weather. Some people like the cold. Um, so I just wanted to see, since it's February, do, are you, do you tend to get sadder in months like this? Like kind of dour, <laughs> dour month like February? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, those are be a fa- I'm prepared for that answer. I'm prepared uh-uh. for that answer. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh uh. Honestly, not really, but I'm sad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't notice a increase in my sadness um, during 
during this time. Holidays for sure, but I think it's for it's not seasonal stuff. It's like more, not the weather. It's not the weather. Yeah. Mm. Um, but my partner definitely does. And, yeah. Um, she's definitely affected by the weather and um, all that stuff. I'm much less affected by that, but I'm also anxious and depressed all the time. So it doesn't, I'm not, I don't escape it. Um, right. It's, it's more, cro- not, so it's like chronic. Yeah. It's more chronic. I see. Yeah. But less so affected by the seasons. All seasons. <laughs> <laughs> All seasons. You have sad. You have chronic sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. This year, I'm happy to say that I am happy. Uh, it's not really affecting me this year, the weather or whatever. Actually, the past couple of years have been quite happy for me just because I have my daughter. And um, uh, the pandemic happened, but it. my daughter was born literally at the beginning of the pandemic, like like when we started locking yeah. down, that's when she was born. We were in the hospital delivery room and we had to go straight home and we never left for, yeah. for you know, a crazy. long time. Really crazy timing, but it was happy for me. You know, like we got to work from home, mm-hmm. my partner and I, and we got to spend time with our kids and raise her, you know, and not be impeded by commute or any of that. Yeah. So it was good, but... In the past, I've definitely been affected by the weather. You know, in those bad years I was talking about where mm-hmm. I was depressed for years, you know, like like a long time. The weather had a profound effect on my mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I – and j- just talking about um, depression in general, um, getting out of depression is so difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's it's – and anxiety as well. Taylor and I, we both have had really terrible anxiety episodes. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think maybe we'll just talk about how we cope with uh, living with anxiety and depression because it's it's something I think we both struggle with to this day. Yeah. I mean, I have a therapist. Um, that's a big way I cope um, because it's a lot to ask of a friend mm. or a partner to deal with it all. And they just don't have the tools, honestly, to deal with the things that you're going through and can only really help in just being there. They can't really help you move through the stuff that you're going through. That's a big help for sure. Um, music is like a huge help for me. Uh, playing Listening music. and playing. Playing music more than anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I definitely listen to music a lot when I'm sort of going through those things, and it helps, but playing music helps me more than anything, probably. Um, And I think it's partially just because, and you might feel this too, but when I am playing music, it's I almost enter a meditative state Mm. where I'm not thinking of anything but the instrument and me playing the instrument. And I don't know if there's any activity that I do that is like that. Oh, that's great. Including like cooking or other things that bring me joy. Like when I'm playing music, I am just fully present in that moment. Um, And also just like actual meditation. I do that a lot too, but even meditation, I'm not as present in meditation as I am when I'm playing music. Mm. So that's like a, your most potent form of meditation is playing guitar. 
Yeah, because it's like instant. Like it's instant. It's like the whole world kind of disappears and time doesn't exist. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I Music is not that for me. I wish it was. I'm envious of that. Um, I I play piano and I'm I'm like not very good and I don't really enjoy playing piano. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't really enjoy it. Um, but I enjoy writing songs. Um, you know, a lot. I, I mean, that's one of my passions. I love writing songs, and I'm so passionate about it that when I do sit at the piano and write songs. I'm not in a state of bliss because I, I really get serious, you know, like I get almost competitive with myself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm writing and I'm, you know, I sit down with this mission to, you know, at least make a song better or something. Um, and I love that, but I, I don't, that doesn't get me through anxiety at all. That probably just make me more anxious. Oh, interesting. See, like I also like, I love the songwriting, ex- um, process too and for the same reasons why i just love um playing the instrument itself without any goal but i think even with songwriting it's i also find myself very present in that process Mm. and it's such a small world where when i bring myself out of it it's a much bigger world with much bigger problems but when i'm working on a single song Mm. it's like the stakes are really low and uh and i take a lot of obviously i think we both take a lot of pride in like writing and making sure that it's something you're proud of but even then it's like this personal um process where you're not thinking about your kids or you're not thinking about yeah um what you have to do tomorrow or the projects you have it's just like you're fully in this moment and for me, those moments are what give me a break from my anxiety and everything else like that. That's really interesting. I've never thought about like what activities do that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so cool that you have guitar um, uh, playing music as that escape for you. I think. I think if I think about it now, this is really interesting. I've never thought about this. But it's like probably video games is like my number one. Oh yeah escapism Mm -hmm. you know i think movies aren't uh engaging enough for i I watch a lot of movies you know (laughs) and tv so it's i'm always and it's my work you know so i'm kind of thinking critically the whole time Mm -hmm. but video games are so engaging i mean i think i believe they're the most engaging form of uh art or entertainment there is um Mm -hmm. because of the I mean, it's the ultimate sense of agency. You're literally, you know, like in there. Uh, so I get really lost uh, in video, and I love games. Like I, I, really, I really have a lot of fun playing video games. So mm-hmm. that's probably that's probably mine. Uh, um, but I will say that w- the way I pulled myself out of the, those dark days from uh, years ago was uh, so we'll get it more in depth in that period of my life probably at a, a, another time. But um, suffice it to say, it was I had a really bad episode health wise that led to me having severe depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and my health deteriorated and I had to quit my job and yeah <laughs> it was really awful time uh and I was depressed and basically useless for a, over a year and a half I, it was bad um yeah and how I pulled myself out of it was uh finding a new career I, I started mm-hmm. a blog where I would just watch classic movies 
Yeah. And like review them, not review them, but like just, talk, you know, react to them. Um, it, it, I think it was on Tumblr actually, which yeah. is really funny. Um, but I, yeah, I just started that, this Tumblr blog and then that led to me becoming, you know, now I'm st- to this day still a film critic. And that's how I pulled myself out, self out of it was just like finding a n- new purpose, you know? It was really interesting to watch from the sidelines. Mm. Um, because at that time when you'd gone through that episode, we weren't in the same worlds. In I mean, some you were li- ways. you were living in Oakland. I was living in Oakland. I was like fully immersed in the food world. I didn't have like any outside life at all. Yeah, <laughs> but you, but you, you also didn't have any outside life at all because you were also in it. So That's like, right. it was hard for us to find those uh like moments to connect you know so like i would check in on you and i could tell that you were going through a really dark spell and then i'd check in on you again and then i'd see your movie blog show up and like what the hell is he doing now (laughs) (laughs) and then like the next time i checked on he's like oh he's fine now what happened (laughs) like i missed a couple steps there (laughs) but like it totally makes sense that that is what brought you out of it and i never actually associated the movie blog with with that but yeah now it's just like makes complete sense yeah really movies really saved my life you know i I was really down and um in every way imaginable um uh yeah my health i was i weighed 110 pounds which Mm -hmm. is really tiny even for me (laughs) like i'm a small guy (laughs) i was was like trying to like is 110 pounds small? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's really small. Like I'm, I'm like getting in better shape now. This I'm like 145 right now. Mm-hmm. I was 110. Yeah, <laughs> like at that time, really terrible. Uh, but movies, just just applying myself to that, to expressing myself about movies, and 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 getting that job um, by happenstance. And then finding myself doing these things, like I was, my days during the dark time were, I'd uh, wake up terrified I was going to die, go lay down on the floor of my apartment under a heated blanket all day, afraid I was going to die, maybe eat, Mm -hmm. and then go back to bed afraid I was going to die. Like that for a year and a half. Yeah. uh, Just hell. It was really living hell. Awful. Um, but I was so shocked because when I got started that movie career, my movie career, I was like commuting in San Francisco, meeting these celebrities, like, Mm -hmm. uh, putting myself out there in ways I'd never done in my entire life. Thinking about where I was mentally in that apartment where I couldn't even go take out the trash. I was so frightened. Dude, it was, I was on the floor, plastered on the floor all day. From that to me, like getting dressed up, commuting, going out. Yeah. Whenever I talk to people, friends or acquaintances who, you know, we start talking about depression mm-hmm. and they're maybe in a, a, ba- a bad place, you know, I always, uh, if it's worth anything to them, I, I always suggest, you know, find find a passion, find a purpose, you know, something that you can pour yourself into and that for just at least try because that that really saved my life you know that that career my film career uh 
I, I was that was not going to end well. The path, <laughs> path I was on, and um, that yeah. I found that outlet, and it, it was not something I ever went to school for. You know, mm-hmm. it was not that I should. I do not deserve this job. I'm not qualified whatsoever. But it saved me. Yeah, and now definitely. I'm fine. You know, especially like relative to where I was, I, I still am anxious and and get depressed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I I I always hope when I meet people who are who deal with chronic depression that they can find something like that to at least help uh, alleviate some of some of the anxiety. I think it helps in some ways. I think it's sometimes it's hard to get like it's hard to get rid of it. <clears throat> it's rare to get rid of it through it through that. It's crazy. But- when, yeah, I mean, in some ways, before I had entered the food industry, I was also in a really dark space, um, like really dark. And I'd come back to the Bay Area after living in Los Angeles for a little bit um, and partially left Los Angeles because I had a big mental health episode and I needed to come back and recover. And I found myself in the food industry and I just threw myself at it. Mm. And like, I was obsessed and it was my life. And in some ways it like masked a lot of the stuff that I was feeling at the time. It definitely gave me a purpose. Um, But sometimes I worry that, it was just like a band-aid in some ways, mm. you know. And then, obviously, the food industry is a very abusive place. <laughs> brutal, man. It's brutal. <laughs> it's a very abusive place. So, like, if it was a healthier environment, maybe it would have been, like, uh, more beneficial. But even in a toxic environment like a kitchen, like, it. to your point, it gave me a purpose and it gave me a way to – not be in my own head. Right. You know, and in some ways it drove that career because it was like, well, I'm just gonna give everything to this because I don't know what's going to be left afterwards. So I'm just going to give everything to this. And in some ways it was like the best thing that ever happened. I met my partner. Right through that and became much healthier in in different ways after I eventually left the food industry. But yeah, I think a purpose is, is a big way to sort of break you out of your funk. Yeah. Um, even though funk is not a proper, uh, encapsulation of how fucking horrible it is. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like this quaint little term you use. I was in a funk. Yeah. You know, I almost killed myself. I was in a funk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and I think now in some ways, like, uh, music is that for me now, um, because the stakes are just low. Mm. When I was in the food industry, all my value of who I was as a human being was wrapped into it. So if I fucked up at work, like I just thought I was a shitty human being right now, if I, fuck up on a guitar run. I'm just like, oh, I'll try it again. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big contrast. Yeah. You know, it's much better. 
like, no, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you just smashed your guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think finding healthy outlets is a big part of it. And a therapist. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I can also vouch for therapy. You know that that really helped me through as well. Yeah, 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 and and a lot of things, you know, and they're all related. You know, a lot of things are therapeutic, um, and can really help you. I know that um, my anxiety uh, diminished greatly when I I had my first uh, child, Mm. um, because. I think the danger of of depression and anxiety is that you're almost imploding, right? You have all this energy in your mind, mm-hmm. and you're directing it at yourself in really nasty ways, right? Um, you're talking yourself into terrible things and overthinking things and like beating yourself down, and you're you're directing all this energy inward. And I think when you the more stuff you have to direct your energy outward, the better. Because then, it, you know, essentially you don't, you're not directing that energy towards yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people direct that energy outward in a bad way, which, definitely, you know, that's very common as well, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, probably more common than, than what happened with me, luckily. But yeah, yeah, when I had my son, I just, um, my panic attacks subsided, you know, considerably. I, I, I because I'm just worried about him. Yeah. Um. And I take care of myself so that I can take care of him. Mm-hmm. So it just changed the game for me, and it helped a lot. You know. But at the same time, you know, being a dad's hard. It comes with its own its own <laughs> yeah. struggles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if anyone listening is struggling, um, right now, mentally, emotionally. We are um, not therapists, and you should probably take yeah, it. You, should, you know, go find find. We hope you find something that that helps you through. And um, if anything, I hope that we can be a point of recognition that you know you're not alone, and 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 everyone deals with this stuff. And and I can to- we can empathize with everybody who who deals with panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And yeah, um, we feel for you. And uh, I hope it's you know I we hope you have a happy happy year, a happy month. Uh, it's totally possible and, um, stay strong. And if you're already good, then fuck you. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is not for you. We don't, we don't like you. I can't relate to you. Uh, if you're happy, no, I'm, I'm happy right now. I'm thankful to say, uh, happy to be back too. Back from our break. Season two. <laughs> season two. Of your Asian best friend. We have very short seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, eight episode seasons. Yeah, it's like a mini series. Like, mini- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like a British, uh, British yeah, series. The, yeah, we do like the British seasons. <laughs> it's the British office over here. All right. Well, thank you guys. We will be back in two weeks, barring a. Um, <laughs> Uh, tummy ache. Tummy ache or severe panic attack. <laughs> and Taylor's driving to... <laughs> dri- driving to Canada for camping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. And we are your Asian best friends. See you next time.